You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Amen. Uh, We're on praise him number three, and this is for his purpose. If you remember, the first one was what? Praise him for his what? Presence. And then it was praise him for his power. In fact, in the Old Testament, that's what Thanksgiving was all about. You are thanking him for his exploits, for the things that he did. We could look at Israel, that whenever they went to war and they got victory, what was the outcome of victory over enemies? Was that we, they were always praising. Of course, we know that when they came over from Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they came into it, and uh, obviously the Egyptians were destroyed by the, the, the waters that came over and destroyed, the, began to do what? They began to praise. Why? Because of mighty exploits. And I've said this, that in a church... In any church, and when you look at history, you will find out that a church that is strong in its praise is because generally God's at work in some type of capacity. And wherever you see the absence of praise, and it just becomes kind of a a non-life-giving, liturgical, traditional church, that's usually because God isn't doing anything. Not much. Some of you get that by next week. This is why it's one of the litmus tests, if you will, is if the presence of God is there. Is God doing something? Do you remember when you first got saved? You had something to shout about. You had something that happened in your life. You had an encounter with Christ. You were saved. Uh, Whether you were delivered, there was exploits that were done within your life. What was the ramification or what was the fruit of that? You began to dance and you began to shout in the house of God. You were like a witnessing machine to all your friends that were around you. And then somewhere usually along the way, we get really kind of lukewarm and that fire that we had begins to wane begins to kind of go out. Come on, are you here? But we were made to praise him. Amen. Uh, I'm trying to help you along so that you don't have a culture shock when you get to heaven. Because some of you are going to have a culture shock when you get to heaven. You're going to be like, what is this place? Yeah, this is what you are supposed to be doing while you're here on earth. And some of you will have a culture shock. And we're praying and hoping and believing. So we want to look into the New Testament and look at it, praise him for his purpose. This, is, this isn't something that we do. This is something that we are. So it's to be part of the, uh, uh, the nature of who we are as a people. It's not, again, just something that we do. Oh, here's the praise and worship aspect of the church service. No, this is a product of who we are. And so we look at this in the book of Ephesians. Notice this, and I'm going to show you that thematically throughout the scriptures, particularly within the Apostle Paul and the churches that he wrote, we are indeed to be a people of thanksgiving, giving thanks to God. And I'm going to keep reminding you that here in America, you have a much more comfortable Christian lifestyle than they did in the first century. Would you agree with that? I don't think I have to prove that to you. And particularly, we're going to see that there was much persecution, Uh, You had Rome, you had the emperors. We see within the early church, they were fed to the lines, they were crucified, upside down, Peter was. There was much persecution, and yet even though they were persecuted much more than you are here in America 2,000 years later, in this bastion of Christian comfort, so to speak. And I know culture's changing, but this is why all the more we need to understand and have our spiritual equilibrium calibrated to be in a people of praise. Again, it's not just something that we do (laughs) because things are going great. It's easy to do that. Can you be a person of praise when everything isn't going your way? 
Can you be a people of praise when it's not just on the mountaintops of victory, but you're in the valleys of defeat? That proves whether you're a spiritual person or whether you're just a soulish cultural person. And there are lots of soulish cultural Christians in America. And they, this is the reason why I, I know this may be hard for some of you to understand. But even in culture in general, the way we see it going, it's going to begin to sift those who are spiritual within our nation. Because we need a new group of Christians and a new breed of Christians to rise up. It says this in the book of Ephesians. And mind you, Ephesus was birthed in Acts chapter 19 in a powerful move of the Spirit. We know the Apostle Paul was there, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that he found 12 disciples uh, and, of course, got them up to date, got them saved. They'd only heard of John. Gets them up to date, and so far they get baptized in Christ. They become born again, and then furthermore, he lays hands on them, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. So they get saved, they're going to heaven, and now they're empowered to bring heaven down to earth through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's found in Acts chapter 19. We see the consequence of this, that these type of believers were actually into all kinds of witchcraft and different things, and they were sorcerers and whatever the pagan uh, uh, religions of the time were. They began to collect all that, and they began to have a burning sessions. Come on, are you here? So these were believers that meant business. So we see the apostle Paul is beginning to talk to this church right here through this letter. And it says, always, say always, always. not sometimes. Not when just you feel like doing it. Not when it happens to be convenient. It says always. Always means always. I know that was real deep. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Not just for some things. Not just for when you get a new car. Not for just when you get a job raise. In all things and for everything. You say, I don't know if I believe that. I know you don't believe that. That's why you suffer so many defeats and you are defined by the situations you go through. Rather than being a spiritual person and being a spiritual person and everything that comes against, you, we are to be a people that our spiritual equilibrium is a be a people of thanksgiving. So it doesn't matter if you're going through hell, keep thanking him and you'll eventually come out of it. The problem is, is we don't give thanks in places of hell. And that's the reason why we're still there. We are supposed to be passing through, not camping out. Are you here? And here's the amazing thing, that when you're in hell, when you're giving thanks in the presence of God there, it may be hell to everybody else, but it won't be hell to you. Because his presence is there. And his presence determines whether it truly be a place of hell. But if you're in his presence, listen very carefully, the fires that bring destruction are the fires that actually bring purification. And you can endure those things. And God does a deeper and greater work in your life. And everyone says... So it says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. That leaves nothing out. Come on, are you here? That means when things aren't going the way you think they should. Come on, how many know here in America? Where, and listen, this is part of the, uh, the blessing of our culture is it's very organized. There's places and things like that. But how many know things don't always go your way? Are you a person that flips out when things don't go your way? Are you a control freak? Controlling people usually don't like this particular passage of Scripture. Because controlling people come under anxiety, they come under bondage, they come under fear, they come under stress, and it all comes out. All of those things. This is why we... How can I give thanks? It says, always giving thanks, not always giving criticism for your situations. 
Some of you will get that by next week. Some of you will be clapping by next week if you actually thank him. You'd be like, I don't know, I'm just doing this by faith right now, pastor. But I'm not really feeling, you don't know what I'm going through. This eliminates the, you don't know what I'm going through, pastor, irrelevant. That's included in everything. So I don't have to go through what you're going through. And maybe what you're going through is because you don't have a thankful attitude. Are you here? You don't know what I've gone through. And I don't want to know what you're going through. Maybe you're living in that because you don't do this. Because you're always giving criticisms to God, our Father. And he's like, I can change your world. Could you just change your attitude? I like to do it, but I can't. I can't inhabit your praises because you're criticizing. I don't inhabit criticism. I inhabit the praises of my people, not the criticism of my people. This is why they died in the wilderness, criticizing. Why did you send us here? Ah, I can't believe it. I'm getting tired of this meat. Where's the water? Where's this? I want to go back to Egypt. God couldn't do anything. So he goes, all right, well, I had this promise for you. You didn't get into it, not because I didn't want you in there, but because you're a critic. You're full of criticisms. You're not thankful. You can't see my hand upon your life. Listen, there's always someone who's going to have it worse than you. So don't think, oh, I can't believe I'm going through this. There's always somebody, and there's always nations that are in worse positions than we are. This is why we have to be a people who always give thanks, not criticism, to God our Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is it that actually precedes this verse? Again, I want you to take note. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. What does 18 and 19 say? Do not get drunk on wine. Why is that? Because this can be a counterfeit, and this is what he's kind of showing is, hey, there's two tracks you can do. In the natural, you can get drunk, or in the spirit, you can get drunk. Okay, now watch this. Do not get drunk in wine, which leads to what? Debauchery. Means when you get naturally woo, inebriated, what happens? The natural consequence is you end up in debauchery and all kinds of nonsense. Come on, are you here? But it says, instead, in other words, Ephesians, don't live this way. Okay? I want you to take this track, not this track. Don't go in the carnality, go spiritual. Why? Because when you hit hard times, you're going to go one of those two tracks. Are you here? Because when mankind has pressures, what's inside of him will come out. And he'll look for uh, solace in these things. So for the person who drinks, it's that. For the person who does this, it's that. Uh, it could be relationships. That's why you go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. So what happens is you detox yourself from these systems and you got to be connected to him. So it says, instead... In other words, and it's assumed that obviously people in the church were getting a little bit happy that way. And he's saying, hey, go this way. So instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do I do that? Pastor Paul, speak into one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Notice the capital S, from the Holy Ghost. Now, let me ask you, do you do this? Do you see this in the church? I have to say, this is absent from the church. Come on, are you here? Notice this, that to be filled with the Spirit, you speak to one another with psalms, with hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That is to say, 
that God is doing things in the present. And part of the way you have the activity of the Holy Spirit is to be speaking. And that also means it's to be prophetic. Come on, are you here? There'll be prophetic uh, songs of the Lord. You know, this is wonderful. How many love Emily up here when she's singing? I just, it's just so great. I just, <laughs> hallelujah. But then when she gets in that prophetic flow, when she begins to speak, those songs that come over you, and it almost feels like God's talking right to you. What is that? That's this right here. Come on, are you here? Not just singing. Listen, this is why it says psalms, hymns, and songs. So there's three different types of activities. Psalms, of course, in the Old Testament, you have the psalms. You have hymns that are traditional hymns. Mighty fortress is our God. I love that song. I heard there was a Pastor Wendy this last week showed me a remake of that Martin Luther song. I was like, we need to learn that. I love that song. But what was that? That was a song of the Lord 400 years ago, 500 years ago. Because Martin Luther understood that God was a mighty fortress because he had to endure the onslaught of the Roman Catholic Church that was coming against him. And the reformers that went through all kinds of persecution as they were labeled and declared heretics. Come on, are you here? So that was something that was life-giving. We sing it 500 years later as a mighty fortress. He wasn't a mighty fortress on your behalf. He was a mighty fortress on their behalf. And again, there's nothing wrong with hymns and singing the hymns. Just hopefully you can make it life-giving in our generation. Come on, are you here? So it says, and songs from the Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is doing something. So it's great to sing songs of what the Spirit did 500 years ago. We just also want to sing songs of the Spirit of what he's doing today. Because he's doing things today. And as I stated last week, it's important for you to understand that all throughout church history, there's always been new songs whenever God began to do a new thing within the church throughout church history. You go back to the Methodist church. When people began to get saved, what did they take? They took old bard tunes that uh, the people were listening to and put Christian lyrics to it. Because they got out. That's where they were saved. That's where they were at. And so what did you have? You had new songs that came forth. So this is why in the church there always should be. It's one of the, if you will, uh, uh, the indicators that it is indeed life-giving because there will be songs that come from the spirit of what God's doing in a house, within a territory, within a group, within a, whatever you want to call it, a denomination that's, you know, usually denominations are a product of something that God is doing and sometimes it just becomes management and organized and becomes non-life-giving in the next generation. But nonetheless, the point is, is that this is how you can help by which you kind of uh, allow yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit is by singing in songs unto the Holy Ghost, come on. The reason why this is unnatural is because we don't even do it in our own prayer closets. Did you hear what I just said? So it shows that it's unorthodox for us to do that, to be able to sing by the Holy Ghost. We do a lot of praying. We do a, a lot of reading of the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you ever connect with the Holy Ghost by singing songs unto him. You say, I got a bad voice. I know. And <laughs> that's the amazing thing. He doesn't care. He hears the tune of your spirit, not your vocal cords. Come on, are you here? So you can sound like this. It sounds great to him. May not sound great to me. May not sound great to you, but it sounds great to him because he wants to hear from the Spirit. Come on, are you here? Not just your, your voice. 
So yeah, believe me, I am not a singer at all, but I know how to lift up my voice unto God with a shout of triumph and begin to sing, and you don't want to hear me do that, but it should become natural for the Christian to do that, so that when we do come corporately, it's not like you feel like you're naked. The only reason why you feel like you're naked is because you haven't worn the glory while in your personal devotional time, and you never carried into the church. So that's why you feel naked, because you're not wearing it. It becomes foreign to you. Mm, some of you are getting that. You're like, yeah, you're right, Pastor. But if it was part, uh, 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 integrated within your personal devotional life with Christ in which you begin to lift up your voice and you begin to praise him and you begin to thank him and not just have another Greek study. Mm. Big head, big head, small spirit, small spirit. There's a way to put this, that's all that. And there's nothing wrong with having this. I just hope you have big this too. Big head, nothing, but I want you to have a big spirit. Come on, are you here? So that we begin to praise him. Speak into one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from your spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So notice this is part of the spiritual culture that the apostle Paul is driving. And again, this is precedes verse 20 again, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see, again, it's not just something that you do, it's because of who we are as a people. Now notice 1 Thessalonians. Again, Ephesus, Paul is the writer at the church at Thessalonica. Rejoice sometimes when everything goes your way. No, rejoice always. You say, I don't know if I like that. I know, that's why you're depressed. It seems like in our culture, there's lots of depression, there's lots of anxiety, and people doing all kinds of things in order things to take and try to do that. Uh, we need to start rejoicing more, because that's the way the culture is going. They become professional critics due to them being victimized. It's the government. It's this. It's my parents. It's this. It's that. Okay? It's the antithesis of rejoice. Rejoice always. You mean even when it's bad? Yes. In fact, that's all the more reason why you need to. Otherwise, those situations, it's interesting. It's almost like they're alive and they'll bind you up. And when they bind you up, you live in it and that's all you think about. And so you're driven by the situations and the circumstances and you never break out through rejoicing. You have to understand there are situations that you bump into that God brings you through because he wants you to have victory over those things. And if you don't have victory over those things, those things will have victory over you. They'll bring defeat within your spiritual life. They come and the enemy will orchestrate and do certain things. Listen, we see this very clearly when uh, uh, Peter goes to step out. Lord, if it's you, bid me come out. He says, come on out. He steps out of the boat. What ends up happening? The devil's like, I don't want him moving in faith. So I know what I'm doing. I'm going to stir up the situations around through winds and waves. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? It happened right at that point. Because he would have never asked to come out if all of a sudden it was like that. He would be like, uh-huh, I'm not going to thank you. I believe it's you. But no, at the point, if it's me, it's glassy. He goes to walk out, and then all of a sudden, the situation rises. Enemy doesn't want you walking out on faith. He'll sit there, and he'll hit you, and he'll use situations. What's the situation? The situation is you're walking on the water. I don't want him doing that. Because then that will encourage him. That will build up his faith to do even greater things that will destroy my kingdom. So what does he do? He's the prince of the power of the air. So that prince of the power of the air begins to stir up the winds and the waves to, be, to do what? 
to bring him into bondage to where now he begins to sink. And it wasn't a sinking in water, it was a sinking in his faith. What was that? That was his situation starting to dominate where he was moving in faith. So listen, this is the reason why. God wants you to walk on the water and there are situations that may hit you, but when they hit you, what are you going to do when they hit you? Are you going to, ah! And listen, do that, absolutely. When Peter did that, he reached out and he pulled us up. But notice what Jesus said. He didn't just say, I'm here. He said, what happened? Where's your faith? Right? He challenged him. You didn't need me to pull you out. It's because of you allowed the situation of what you see put in your eyes here and put in your eyes there. You didn't keep your eyes fixed on me going through the situations. Are you here? So part of rejoicing always is you keep your eyes fixed because you're rejoicing in him. So as your eyes are fixed in rejoicing him, that's how you get victories in life. So rather than how come this is happening, well, stop looking around and look to him. He's the one who causes your spiritual equilibrium to be centered correctly so that you see things in their proper perspective. Because what you see as a, a, a tsunami, he looks at it as a little ripple. Are you here? What you see as a mountain is only a speed bump. Everything is miscalibrated when you become situationally aware and not cross-aware and Christ-aware. And the way you stay is by rejoicing always. And then do what? Because you're rejoicing always, you also have to pray continually. That means in those situations. So continually. I like what one preacher said. I don't pray a half hour, but I never go a half hour without praying. I thought that was a, a, a good statement. I like that. In other words, he's always connecting with the Father. He's always connecting with God. It's not about you, you know, just going into hibernation mode and I got to escape the world. Come on, are you here? We are to be a light in the world, not a light in the cave. So you got to be in the world, but while you're in the world, you, you go into his presence and then you come back out and you're always there, engaging in the world, being a light in the world. Come on. So rejoice always, pray continually. And then he states it again. Give thanks in all circumstances, not some circumstances, not just the favorable circumstances, but the unfavorable circumstances. And again, I want to remind you, they had it much more difficult than you. When they were meeting, they didn't meet in nice, comfortable uh, chairs like you are. Come on. They didn't have as nice a homes as you had. They didn't have them. Well, maybe they had better meals than we did today, but depending on what you eat. But the point is, is they did not have the amenities of life. And yet we still see the Apostle Paul admonishing the church that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Favorable, that means, as well as unfavorable. Again, giving thanks and rejoicing isn't something that we do. It's because it's who we are. And the way you do it is make it a duty, make it a priority, stop yourself, listen to the teachings of the Apostle Paul, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all what? Circumstances. And this will cause you to live a life by which you are filled with the Spirit continually. You can't rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and be a professional critic. It's impossible to do that because this will cause you to be recalibrated as a spiritual person rather than just a soulless Christian, which we have many in the culture and society today. This is why they're always shifting. 
They're, they're building their life on sand rather than the rock of rejoicing. In fact, Calvin, I love Calvin, you know this, but Calvin incorrectly says, when the, this is how he interpreted this right here. I, 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 I read his commentary on this and I thought, man, I love you, Calvin, but how did you get it wrong here? He incorrectly says, when the mind, this is what it means, when the mind keeps itself calmness under adversity and does not give indulgence to grief. No, that's not what it says. Rejoicing always doesn't mean keep calm your mind. It means rejoice. Yes. <laughs> Are you here? I thought, did he really say that? He's wrong. I like Calvin, but he's wrong. <laughs> I like what Athanasius says. He was an early church father. I know you're looking at him saying, I don't like his beard. <laughs> I agree. Athanasius says, for no one is going to turn away from sin and start behaving righteously unless he thinks about, say thinks about, and this is what happens when you are rejoicing again, and you're always giving thanks in all circumstances. It says, start behaving righteously unless he thinks about what he is doing, not until he has been straightened out by practicing godly behavior will he actually possess the reward of faith. So in other words, you want to be righteous? Be rejoicing always. Be praying continually. Be giving thanks in all circumstances. What does this do? This is literally reformatting your, your brain. Yes, right. That's right. Your brain needs to be reformatted. And if you watch the news, you need to do it double time. Yes. In fact, I suggest you turn it off because it's full of lies anyways. Total li they're liars. They're liars, 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 liars. Are you here? For no one is going to turn away from sin and start behaving righteously. In other words, there's a certain way a sinner thinks, an unrighteous person thinks. So you need to have your mind rewired differently to the way of righteousness. The way this happens is by rejoicing always, by praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances. As you do those fundamentals, what happens is your brain is being changed. And I believe there's enough science to prove this. Pastor Wendy, is, uh, she's, she's into scientists who are Christians and, and actually do scans and all this. And there's literally a rewiring of brain and synapses and all these things when you do these things in these activities. By the way, he was a church father in the fourth century. He was the Bishop of Alexandria, Athanasius. He's a good guy, just bad beard. All right, next. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22. Do not quench the Spirit. How many don't want to quench the Spirit? Okay. Notice this. Do not quench the Spirit. Sometimes we don't even recognize the Spirit. <laughs> it becomes really bad in Christendom in the day when the Spirit is operating, and they call that crazy and demonic or heresy. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Isn't that interesting? So there had to be coming into the church a quenching of the spirit for him to say, do not quench the spirit. Yeah. So he had an expectation here in Thessalonica that the believers that were there to actually recognize the spirit of God and his working. 
It's amazing how many times in the church we don't even discern the operations of the Holy Ghost. This is why when you see, you know, operations of the Holy Ghost, even in this house, you see people that are delivered, you'll see it at the altar, devils will come out of people and people will get healed or people all of a sudden, uh, certain mindsets are broken and, you know, uh, God's working on them. They're free from certain uh, fears and different things like that. They're like, I don't know. That's called the Holy Ghost working. You know, to have these, these activities just quench the Holy Spirit. So it has to do with the way you think, and it, dep- it, it has to do with uh, how in your mind and in your heart you receive these things. So he says, do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with content, but test them all, not kill them all. But test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. I want to you to take note of what precedes this particular Excuse me, we see here, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject of every kind of evil. When you go to Colossians, notice Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, stop right there, look up here. How many have heard that passage of scripture? Only a couple of you. Do you read your Bible? How many have read this before? Now, I've heard this. Let the message of Christ dwell richly in you, almost as if there's a period right there. But did you know there's a way you let the message of Christ dwell in you? It's not just that it dwells in you. How does it dwell in you? It becomes a question. Notice what it says. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. How? With all wisdom. Through what? through the vehicle of psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. True teaching and godly teaching is not just that it's being taught, but how it's being taught. Is it being taught with gratitude? Is it being taught with thanksgiving? It's an indicator. It's an indicator of the teacher and the spirit that he has about him. Come on, how many know people can teach? Anybody, you know, someone can have a gifting, but they have a wrong heart motivation. How many know the Pharisees, they were teachers. They knew the law. They knew the scripture. Okay? But the attitude of the heart was not there. It says, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God. So, so here, here we have in Ephesus, as well as Thessalonica, as well as here amongst the Colossians. We see that this is actually an emphasis that the Apostle Paul had in all of his churches. What's my point in that? You can't say, well, that's because they were Pentecostals over there. That's the reason why they're excited and they're always rejoicing. No, we're following what Paul said. Rejoice always. And we've seen thus far three churches that he drives that into him. Why? Because they could have come to the place because of situations, because of persecutions, because of the onslaught that was coming to them, that they were coming under depression. They were feeling, oh, woe is me. They could have come under being victims of culture and society and what Rome's doing and what the family members and what the Pharisees and what the religious are doing to them, the Judaizers. So what was the antidote? through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Watch this. There's a conjunction. And whatever you do, say whatever. Whatever. Sounds like in all circumstances, does it not? And whatever you do, say whatever you do. 
That means the things that you don't want to do. Like get up tomorrow morning to go to a work that you don't like. Right? It's always amazing. We don't rejoice always. We pray continually. Oh, God, get me out of this job. Well, why don't you first rejoice always in him? It will change your prayers. Maybe that's why it says rejoice always first and then pray continually because the way you pray has to be, uh, uh, the rejoicing spirit has to be part of your prayer life. Otherwise, it's not praying. Maybe it's just complaining. There's a difference between praying to God and complaining to God. If you consider them both the same, well, that's exactly how those in the wilderness were. They were... They, he called it complaining. They called it praying. Oh, God, why did you give us this meat? They were complaining. They probably called it praying. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Watch this again. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So notice it's always driving giving thanks, that we are to be a people of thanksgiving. Now, back to Colossians Chapter 3, what is this? Verse 15, okay? I want you to notice when we were in Colossians, what was it? Chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Now, when we look at 15, what precedes the message is what? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. So what's the point that we see that all these, these things... What precedes as well as what comes afterwards is always to be motivated that we are a people of, of praise, of rejoicing and thanksgiving. Not, it's not what we do, it's who we are as a people. Having a thankful heart is the prerequisite to receiving peace. I found that a heart ruled by criticism is actually incapable of receiving peace. Let me say that again. Having a thankful heart is the prerequisite to receiving peace. Again, what does verse 15 say? Let the peace of Christ rule. But again, what did we see in Colossians 16, 17? Let the message of Christ through psalms and hymns. So the principle is, is having a thankful heart is the prerequisite to receiving peace. I found that a heart ruled by criticism is actually incapable of receiving peace. Why? Because they fixed their mind on the wrong thing. You see, when your mind is fixed on the wrong thing and you, you pray for them to have something, they, can't, it's in, they don't have the capacity to be able to receive it. In fact, when I prayed for people, it's like you, you, you can have the power of God that's being released and you can feel someone drawing upon the power of God, the anointing that's upon your life in an altar. You can feel it. Then you go to somebody who's fixed on criticism and fixed in their own situation. When you go to pray for them, it's like laying your hand on a brick wall. No powers released at all. One person, they can receive it. The other person is like praying because they're stuck in their soul. They're stuck in their situation. They're stuck in their circumstances, and they don't know how to get unstuck through rejoicing and being fixed on him. Come on, are you here? That was free. That was to teach you how you are to actually draw and receive from the presence of God. You got to have your mind fixed on the right thing. Okay. What does Philippians, again, what have we looked at? At Ephesus, Colossians, Thessalonica. Here we have 
Philippi. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Rejoice, right? Continually pray. Here we have rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says it again in case you didn't get it. I say it again. Rejoice, exclamation point. Have you gotten the point? This isn't what we do. This is who we are as a people. We are to be a people of praise. So therefore, your mindset that says, but I'm not sanguine like Pastor Wendy is. That's the reason why I don't dance. But you danced in the bar before you were saved. Isn't it interesting? You rejoiced out in the world, but you can't rejoice in the church. Some of you, while you're in the church, you don't rejoice. And sometimes you actually go to those places because there's no expression of it in the church. So you go out there, you get a little bit happy, and all of a sudden you can rejoice out there. Isn't it interesting? You can rejoice over there, but you can't rejoice over here. Just a thought. Rejoice in the Lord only sometimes. No, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. We see here in verse 6, two verses later, you thought he emphasized it? He continues to emphasize it. Do not be anxious about anything. What did he precede? Rejoice. Rejoice. I can't rejoice. I'm anxious. I know that's the reason why you got to rejoice. Obviously, he says, do not be anxious about anything. He didn't say, oh, don't be anxious about anything. But when it comes to, you know, your mortgage issue, you better worry about that. Don't be anxious about anything. But yeah, I know you can be anxious about that job you can't stand. There's no room to have anxiousness about anything, period. And listen, the world system in the media will drive you to be anxious about everything and to blame everything. It's literally an anti-Christ spirit that comes through the boob tube, as we used to call it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, both good and bad, by prayer and by petition. Watch this. With thanksgiving. Oh, God, I can't believe this is going on. You must not love me. Ah, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. It's true. Get in his presence first. All things are possible to him who believes. He's a God of miracles. He's a God of the supernatural. You do what you need to do in the natural and he'll do the super. But that's why we don't see miracles in the church, because we don't feel like we have the holy obligation to do what he requires. He says, rejoice, just rejoice. In fact, we see this in the Old Testament, right? Send out the praisers before the the people that you're going to battle with. What do you mean? Aren't I supposed to send the Delta Force, the Green Berets, the militias? No, send out the praisers. That doesn't make sense. And as they go out and they send the praisers, what happens? God goes and he begins to destroy the enemy. This is why you see praise in the, in, in the Old Testament 
And I believe in the New Testament that as we begin to praise him, listen, the enemy can't stand being around a people of praise. Do you know we've had people literally walk out during prayer and shaking their head and almost like gnashing their teeth? You could see they were triggered. And what was it? It's because they're full of devils and devils hate praise. It wasn't just because it wasn't according to their culture. It's because they flipped out. They manifested. Devils started manifesting. During times of strong praise is why people want... You'll be amazed what happens when a people of praise really erupt in praise. Devils hate being around a people of praise. Praise will get you victory. Praise will get you victory more than Prozac. Are you here? Listen, and I've been overseas in many different kind of third world conditions that when Americans go over there, that going with first timers overseas is, can be a challenge. You know, I can't believe this. There's bugs in here. Can you get me the off? What kind of food is this? Oh, I don't know. What is that in there? I got to lay on this? Oh, my goodness. Shut up. I know it's not a five-star hotel, and I know it's not a first-world enclave in the city that you're at, and we have to go tribal a little bit. That's where the unsaved people are at. We need to go there. It's not as... I can't believe it. We're on this bus, and oh, my goodness, this jeepney, and oh, my gosh. Oh, there's smoke, and oh, my gosh, there's this pollution. Just shut up. As you're talking, I feel God leave. I'm going to go put Hillsong back in my ears again and get in the presence again because you're driving God away. I mean, really, and then you arrive and, oh, by the way, pray for these people that are manifesting and everything like that. Oh, my gosh, but what? It's, get out of your world for crying out loud. You're no gospel good. How did I get off on that? Be anxious... <laughs> I better wrap it up. Be <laughs> in every situation. <laughs> do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, do what? <laughs> Present your requests to God. And everyone says, Amen. all right. Did you get something from that? You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, FHUS.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.